there's no danger. Maybe the brain sometimes usually associates that kind of vulnerability with something's really wrong. And I wonder if those are the subtle shifts that start to take place where it's like, no, this is, this is being alive. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Leaning In, Sharing Struggles and Fears with a Partner. I have a conversation with a fellow therapist, Mitchell Smolkin, and we have a conversation about leaning in. What does it mean to lean in when your partner is sharing some struggles and fears and the whole aspect of how that increases intimacy, vulnerability in relationships? It's our human condition to have struggles and fears here in this life. And whether we have a relationship that we can lean in to the person that is sharing it helps us feel not alone, connected, and deeper intimacy. So let me tell you a little bit more about Mitchell. We met just a few weeks back and had some conversations back and forth on emails and then finally some Zoom conversation. Mitchell lives in Stockholm, Sweden, and that's where he practices therapy. So we had this discussion from across the pond. So Mitchell Smolkin is a certified emotional-focused couples therapist and supervisor, a Jungian psychoanalyst, a published author, and an experienced public speaker. He is currently the host of the Dignity of Suffering podcast, which I highly recommend, folks. And as a trusted authority on relationships, trauma, parenting, and emotional transitions, Mitchell has spent his career helping people deal with life's various challenges through his international practice. He has published in the area of intergenerational trauma, specifically focusing on the ways in which we process grief, pain, and loss. So before we get on to the conversation, I do want to get a shout out to a couple recent people who have donated to my podcast. I'd like to thank Kathy from Asheville, North Carolina, and Sean from Columbus, Ohio. I so appreciate it. And those of you who are inclined to donate and support the podcast, you can go to my website, prepo.com, hit the support podcast page. You can leave a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. It is a great help, folks, to get this out to you. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's one way that it can get out to more people, I'm told. Another way, of course, is by you listeners, just spreading it to people that you think will benefit from it. And I'm humbled by all of you that are doing that. Thank you. Alrighty, folks. So here we go. Leaning in. Sharing struggles and fears with a partner. Let's talk about it. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean in. Hey, this is this is really sweet, man. I really appreciate you making me the time to to share this with me, and you being in, in Sweden. I know that uh, it's a family time and and nighttime for you, so um, I really appreciate you make time for this. It's my pleasure. I'm really happy to be here. So here we are, two two psychotherapists focused <laughs> with doing couples work, and it's great. After listening to your episode, that I'm going to be definitely plugging for people and uh, your whole podcast talking about 
aspects of uh, struggles with couples and sharing struggles, challenges of fears and other things in our lives, how to have our partner lean into us and, and really meet us in, in our struggles in order to one, be known and to also deepen the intimacy of the relationship. So I'm glad you're, you, you want to navigate this one with me. Yeah, I think it's a great, I, well, I think it's important. And like you're saying that, I, th I think that that's what colors relationships and that's what makes us so three-dimensional are our struggles, but it, you know, it, it is a, it is a struggle, should I say it, to, to find ways to, to be seen and to be leaned into. I think it's a great, it's a great thing for us to discuss. Yeah. And I got that verbiage from, from you in that pod and that episode that you did about that those couples were leaning in, each partner was leaning in when there was truth, when there was vulnerability. And so go ahead and, and I'm curious of what do you see in your work or in your own life of how to share struggles or the ways that we share our struggles with our partner that allows that person to actually lean into us and create more intimacy as opposed to feeling more disconnected through the sharing of those struggles? Well, I mean, it's so interconnected, right? What just came to mind as you were saying that was, you know, the first time you meet somebody, often for many couples, that's, that's the hook. You know, people mm -hmm. talk often about, you know, oh, we spoke all night or we spent three days together or, you know, that's often where things begin with the the vibrancy of what someone shares with you and connections but as we know with human development our struggles are often what bring up our fears or what have shaped us or what make us nervous about sharing and what i've come to believe and know is that ultimately when you really get to know somebody there's a repetition eventually of the things that have made you afraid in your life in the relationship. So there's this incredible journey of, I think, and not every couple has that sort of initial vibe of, of really connecting. Sometimes things start out more slowly. And, but I think a lot of couples look back and I hear a lot of couples who come into my practice with this lament, like they've lost, they've lost that natural ability to talk or to, Someone said this week to me that they feel like when they have to go through a doorway and cross paths with their partner, there's almost like an aversion, you know, like they want to mm. get like two, you know, like, like the opposite ends of the magnet, you know, you know, pushing against each other. And, <laughs> and that made sense to me because the closer someone gets to you, the closer they get to your struggles. And so it moves from a more anonymous catching up with someone really feeling heard to getting really close to the bone. And that's where problems begin in some ways, because if that's what creates intimacy, if the, if, if the intimacy of sharing struggle is what makes us feel close, then being afraid to be seen or be touched in places where we're hurting, I think brings up what a lot of us have felt in our relationships at times, which is, oh, now you're really close to me. Hmm. And to your question about what allows that to take place, I feel like there's almost a second stage in the relationship of then having to learn the context for these struggles and how, how someone has come to deal with their emotions. You know, if somebody reaches out for affection and wants to talk all the time, and that's maybe a way that they feel safe, you know, people who really look for confirmation you know in attachment science they call it a you know anxious attachment mm -hmm. for me that even saying it out loud with you that's a little bit pejorative you know i think some of us just really like to talk and others which are called more avoidant people but again that's pejorative to a large extent you know have a much harder time just think things through you know somebody else in my practice this week said that when something goes wrong in the relationship, they don't share that they're afraid. They immediately like get to problem solving and it's just happening in their head because they're saying to themselves, I want to make this right. And so it's interesting for me, you know, and you referenced my last podcast, it's interesting how at some point 
there's a fear that that develops and it's like if you you know if you know that i'm scared or i'm afraid or i'm broken that's going to hurt our relationship that's going to push you away and what that gentleman said in that podcast is and he's a physician he said it's so counterintuitive to me that opening up that i'm afraid and vulnerable makes you feel safe and you and i can get more into that but that's kind of broad strokes what i've really seen about the arc almost of going from a kind of innocent place of sharing our struggles to then getting close to someone and then i think what's inherent in the poetry of our struggles all of a sudden really coming to the surface and that's i think that's hard to wrap our heads around because we really Mm -hmm. just want we want comfort i think that's ultimately what people want when they share yeah and i think there's a there's a humbleness and when i'm a witness of somebody else's struggles or my my partner struggles the humbleness of being a human being and mm. and there's something about the beauty of somebody else's struggles maybe the content might be different than my inner world or my outer world but i know the essence of the of struggling as a human being of having a challenge mm. as a human being and and that reminds me of my humanness. And to me, that's the way to, that I am able to lean more into, mm-hmm. into that interaction or, or that person. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that if we can get to that shared vulnerability, that humbleness, I have not really seen it fail when someone really is at that place where they're scared and raw. I haven't seen it fail that that hasn't elicited a kind of loving response from someone. It depends, of course, on on the water under the bridge. Having a bit earlier, we talked about these injuries that can come up. Maybe that's how the relationship learns Mm. that something's afoot. You know, someone's getting nervous. And then you have these memories of trying to lean into somebody. I often hear stories of people saying, you know, whether it was when they gave birth to a child or maybe they were ill. And if there's a missed moment where someone's not there, that can often trigger a fear to to lean into them and trust them. And that can snowball. That can all of a sudden dictate the pattern for sometimes years. And so that has to be worked through in some ways. Mm, and, yeah. and I think a lot of your listeners, I'm, I'm, I mean, I have to believe a lot of your listeners know that feeling of, you know, wanting to kind of go into a conversation, but, but having specific fears from the relationship that prevent you from really like letting yourself go because you've now, it's been conditioned a bit to be careful or the proverbial walking on eggshells. So that sometimes really needs to be slowed down and, and understood. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And I also see it just as it is, as you're speaking to in the relationship, there's also in our own lives. I know that there's times where I've opened up to my struggles and if I haven't been met or if it really went awry, I want to have some apprehension to continue to open up in the future. Right. And so there are many people I work with that that's one of their challenges, their, their past traumas, their shutdowns is around, man people like it, it doesn't do me any good to, to share my struggles because I I'm either met with defensiveness or I'm not seen and heard there's no empathy so I'm not gonna expose myself that way to that hurt again and I think by doing it in a relationship that has more of that grace that kindness that cherishing the slowness of understanding the importance of that repair those past traumatic experiences could be transformed by having a present experience with somebody that we're trusting. You, You just hit the nail on the head in terms of what actually makes me the most excited about the opportunity in relationships and in couples therapy. And what I was thinking about was something that the psychiatrist Bessel van der Kolk, the Dutch American psychiatrist in Boston, who I believe I learned from him, which was if the human being has not gone through the process of going from A, which is making oneself vulnerable, experiencing maybe shame, humiliation, embarrassment, vulnerability, 
and then feeling what it's like for another human being, usually in this context, a caregiver, to have safe attachment, arc from feeling vulnerable, someone holding you, seeing in their eyes that they want you to come close and lean in, and then your body feeling, your body experiencing that as a positive experience and then feeling settled. If you have not gone through that, you actually don't know what it looks like. You're not actually looking for it. You don't, that's why couples, it's so difficult sometimes because the, the inability or the expectation you're gonna get hurt is, not, is often not from the relationship. It's actually because there was never a precedent in the first place. Mm. And that happened this week too, where somebody was in that zone, finally talking about, they were talking about their parents and a kind of, you know, uh, to speak figuratively, a kind of maybe autistic emotional environment where there was a withdrawal. And when their partner was soft with them and them, they just looked at me and they said, I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, I don't know what it's like for someone to tell me that is soothing for them, for me to open up about my fears. And that's, mm. that's a huge bridge to cross. But like you just said, the great magic and opportunity in a relationship is if you find somebody, if someone loves you and you can open up and go through that death-defying experience of, of that middle space where you're so lost, but then you look at someone's eyes and they're actually like glowing when you're open. I believe, and I've seen it, that the brain can then associate vulnerability with comfort. Mm. But a lot of people are walking around having never literally physically felt it. And so that's why I love couples therapy, because I think you're right. I think that is one of the places in our field that we can create change, positive change of someone expecting having hope hmm. for the future. You know, that if I'm lonely or I'm scared, somebody will come and be there for me. And that's not something a lot of us have in our back pocket. Yeah. And isn't it beautiful? I know there's beautiful moments when I, as a therapist, am present enough with a couple when one is sharing their struggles or vulnerability, and I can really sense that the other person is leaning in, whether it is a physical leaning in and they maybe even touch their partner or there's empathy in their eyes. There's a moment where I, I, I sometimes pause it right there hmm. uh, and, and let that other person know, hey, are you feeling your partner right now? What is it like when you just shared that struggle and they actually looked at you in this way or they touched you to anchor that yeah. experience that you're talking about in so that their body remembers oh this is safe this is healing instead of just jumping over and not recognizing and not letting that person lean in because yeah. they're in their own story and not in their um interpersonal relationship experience yeah 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 a colleague who listened to that episode you referred to uh, who I who I supervised, she wrote to me and she said, uh, she goes, oh, you really milk it at the end, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and, and I haven't had a chance to really talk to her about it. But I want to say is, of course, because I want it to register, I want the body and the relationship to remember this visceral experience. But I wanted to share that with with the pandemic and working online with some couples, there have been some bloopers where I don't really know, like usually I can see the full body and someone's yeah. maybe grabbing someone's knee or their hand. Yeah. And I think most times I'm right. Like I'll see the, so I'll be like, oh, did I, you know, did, did I see you reach over and grab their hand? Cause I can just see the elbow. Mm -hmm. But once or twice, I think I've said that and they're like, oh no, no, I just grabbed my water. <laughs> and it's like you just feel the air you know kind of go out of the room <laughs> and you want to say why, why don't we do take two why don't you try two, to do what, two, what, what you... that, yeah. <laughs> mm. and that episode that we we're talking about was about a one of the partners that had a degenerative ailment that uh the other partner who was a physician yeah, really had to deal with the aspect of being a physician, not really being able to help in some way, and instead being an emotionally supportive partner. And it was so beautiful, like you said, uh, you know, milking it. Mm, I, I loved it. I, I love that part where where you really slowed it down to to really have them realize what it was like to just be there for each other in in a circumstance where there's there was really no solution 
and an endpoint for joy as opposed to the connection of their understanding of where they're at and their love for each yeah. other and the joy in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the, the patterns in our relationships occur, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of times, like with a couple like that, where one person has a serious illness and the other partner who, as you mentioned, is a physician and, and a great caregiver. I mean, she loves him very much, but he learned in his life to not show his cards, to not show that he's afraid to enable him to be in his mind, a stronger, more competent caregiver. But of course, in that episode and in what I've seen with other couples in similar situations, ability, hmm. and it makes so much sense when you think about it. And I think they said the same thing that if you say to somebody, you know, I am so scared or, or, I don't want to burden you or I'm working so hard to put on my poker face when you get up in the morning and I can see you're struggling. Like if you let somebody in, all of a sudden what that person hears is, oh my God, like you really love me. Like you're, what I might see as silence or what I might see as you being kind of aloof is, you know, all the machinate, like I just see the, like opening up a watch, you know, and seeing all the mechanics inside and it's like, Oh, is that what's going on? Like, that's, that's how much you are thinking of me. Mm. And, and if, if the couple has gone through that, I don't know, 500, a thousand times. And as you pointed out, like, if you can see that happening in the moment and they're connected, I mean, I'll take half an hour to slow that down. And I want to mine, I want to mine every little, like, I want them to know every edge of those gears because I want the relationship to remember on a visceral, physical, even, I know it's not very sexy, but like on a procedural level, I want the brain to go, hey, th this is what it feels like when I'm vulnerable. This is what it feels like for the other partner when they actually tell, you know, how many times in our relationships, you know, when we're reaching out for, for our needs, do we, do we tell our partner what they're doing that they could do differently, right? I mean, it's so yeah. often that's like, hey, could you do this differently? Could you put that in the dishwasher differently? Could you please, when we're around my mother, do X? Or, you know, how many times are we... So when, when somebody's validating their partner for doing something new and brave and different, especially for the people that I think that are opening up that have a hard time, I, I just, I want that... Like, you know, we talk about, you know, what our televisions are getting more crisp by the year. What are we into now? Like 8,000 K or whatever it is. <laughs> I want that. I want that to be three dimensional in the room, in the mind, in the body. So all the senses are organizing around that connection, because as we know, it's very easy to slip back into, into our old habits. And so, yeah, that that's what I do. And I think it's, to be honest, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, because the intellect is so powerful and we'll just go back to what we know, which is fine, right? I, I, I think that mm. we're allowed to have our comfort zones, but that's that's really why I stay there so long. And I love that because I, I call it in some way efficacy. If If I know that I've done something in the past, then that means I know I can do something similar in in the future. So if there's a if there's an efficacy between partners of that kind of visceral minute minutia connection of understanding, mm -hmm. then we know that even through the difficult ones that we're experiencing, we have the ability to do that again. And, yeah. and I think that's why it's so wonderful. You know, you as a, a therapist and what I try to do too is really slow that down for couples to really understand that process so that they can have it like a, an, an update in, in, in their couples, uh, a software program in some way of this is what you're capable of doing and feeling and experiencing to do more of that. Yes. There's a, a great study. It's, it's an Australian psychiatrist who pushed the envelope on using fMRI to look at how quickly our brain goes into a defensive response. So right brain to left brain, they can, they can actually watch the blood flow and it's, it's a second, it's a thousand milliseconds. So essentially as couples therapists, or what you're saying is that we have to get in that second and open that door up to avoid what our habitual defenses in a moment when we're vulnerable. 
Mm. And so I'm almost like, hey, if I have that door open, you know, like you said, you 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 want you want to keep them there, and and I think you're right to seed a vision for the future that it's possible. And that's what I've felt in my own marriage, to be honest. Like when I'm in a familiar dance, but then I'm like, oh, well, we've solved this differently. It's just the hope is immeasurable because especially if it's something you've danced around a long time. So yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. Yeah. Do you think there's a dynamic, Mitch? I'm, you know, I'm going back to my early days in my relationship that I, I remember when my wife had some struggles early on when we met, man, I want, I, I was right there. You know, I was like, I remember when we first met, we were living at Esalen Institute and, and I think it was the first week she had some struggles with some workmates and I saw her in the lodge. Um, and she was, you know, not, not looking so good. She, you know, was, I could sense that, that she was struggling. She was sad. And I dropped everything and came towards her and, and compassion. I remember putting my hand on, on her back and even giving her a hug without even asking her intellectually what was going on. And, and she told me how important that was for me to just be there in her struggle without her even having to intellectually explain it to me. And, you know, of course, there's this part of me that maybe that male provider that wants to come in and provide that emotional support. I think there's a little dynamic with men that we do that so well in the beginning, but then it kind of wanes as the consistency of the relationship goes and the years go by that the power that we had in soothing in that way to, to be able to lean in to our partner. Sometimes we take that as an overburden of the inadequacy of what more can I do? Or, oh, you know, there's more of that instead of staying so present with each moment to be in grace with another human being that's struggling and somebody that's so close to you that that's what we can give in that moment is we can really give ourselves of, of empathy or of compassion. Do you, do you experience that the difference of, of some of that initial uh, awakeness in, in uh, one partner to be there and then that, that, that wanes? Yeah, I, I have a whole bunch of thoughts that cross my mind around that. I feel like that initial phase is very important because letting somebody in, making these huge decisions in our lives, often to change cities, countries, jobs, for somebody, it, it requires a kind of pure vision, ideal, love, connection. Lots of people come out of very difficult relationships and they'll often talk about that, right? They'll say, oh, I wasn't planning on meeting anybody. You know, how often has someone said that? Oh, I just went out with my friends that night and, and had no intention of meeting someone, but the spark, you know, the, the connection, the way that someone intuitively, like you just said, you know, just intuitively knew what I needed was the juice they needed to mm. overcome their fears. And where I come from, and this departs a little bit from the field of interpersonal neurobiology, which is a part of what you and I are talking about in terms of connection and attunement, and maybe it gets more into existential philosophy or archetypal psychology in the sense that in the beginning, there are, there are archetypes at play, or there's perhaps even a defense against disappointment. And I feel like the repair in relationships, meaning the process of of waning or of missing opportunities or coming out of attunement. And, and here I think of the work of the American neurologist, Ed Tronic, who, who says that parents, the best parents in the world are attuned maybe 50% of the time. Mm. You know, I remember when I was moving from Toronto to Sweden and it was everything like, you know, our house was getting ready. It was emotional. I had 10 people in there, you know, getting stuff ready to leave. And I remember through the corner of my eye, my son was trying to ask me a question. And I was so focused. We had th three hours to leave for the airport. I literally, peripherally, I remember him trying to attention three or four times. And I could not even acknowledge that he was there. Like I couldn't 
I, I, I was so hyper-focused on making sure that things didn't capsize in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I went and spoke to him after and explained and told him what was going on and apologized and let him know that I saw him. But I guess I'm giving that example because I don't actually think the goal, and a lot of couples come into couples therapy so disappointed, they've made contracts like, we'll never go to bed angry, you know? <laughs> Or we'll, you know, we won't, we won't talk about certain things. And to be honest, in my head, I say to myself, forget it, throw mm. it out. Mm. You're going to go to bed angry. Yep. You're going to arrive at a vacation and, and you get a phone call from work or something goes wrong and, and the vacation might suck. Yep. But that's, that's the nature of life. That's the ability to come together, two people, and talk about disappointment for me, that's actually the strength. That's like that classic vision of the right, the Japanese vase that breaks and then, you know, it, it's glued back together, but it's stronger than it was in the first place. That, yep. And I think you and I talked about Artie Lang at some point, and he tells a story about one of his patients that he helped. And he said, you know, psychotherapy is not about working through the trauma of our past. He said, actually, it's about being able to imagine and have hope that we can live the trauma of the future. <laughs> there, yeah. There you and, go. Wow. And so, so to your point, it's like, yes, like you may have a, such an important moment in the relationship and you need your partner and they're not there. They're away. They're sick. They're sleeping. They're in a bad mood. And, and one needs to know that actually you can survive that moment, whether it's knowing you'll talk about it, whether like you and I said earlier that you've, you've spent time reinforcing just how much you matter to each other. So in that moment, it doesn't trigger this existential dread that they're not there for you. What it might trigger, and this happened once in my own marriage when I went to the bedroom and open the door. I'll never forget it. And I was like, Hey, I, I had such a bad day. And my wife, remember her, she kind of sat up slightly and she goes, well, how do you think I feel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I turned around and I remember, I actually think giggled to myself because like we went to couples therapy. We were, you know, uh -huh. I kind of giggled and I went, Oh yeah, this is one of these perfect storm moments. We're both full. Yeah. And, and, don't get me wrong, right? There was a lot that went on before that I might have raged inside. I might have been like, why, you know, why aren't you there for me? But, you know, I, I think we'd come to a place where I was like, no, I know she's there for me. She, she's just having a bad moment. And so for me, the complexity of that and the nuance and, and being able to tell the difference between I don't know what might be an injury versus a, a moment in time. That's just a failure. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, I think that's maturation to be honest. I think that's that, but I think couple, I think your partner can help you learn that you're less alone. And I think mm -hmm. that helps us just be less anxious in those moments. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe most of the time that, that may be the goal. <laughs> yeah. That's a beautiful story because it happens so often and, and when we don't allow just like that, that dropping of that disconnection to come back in connection when we're filling our cups more for our own nurturing to try it again, instead of the woundedness of that one try and that, that missing. I, I also think that, that when, you know, the realization that I tell people of, Hey, you know, you need to within yourself around tolerating emotions, is really important in aspects of tolerating your partner's emotion. Because mm. if I'm not comfortable with my sadness and my tears, the hell if I'm going to be present with somebody else's. Sure. Absolutely. So, so the ability to be able to lean into my partner's struggles, I have to, I have to have those really good neurons to understand what she is actually feeling and to be comfortable with that feeling that's coming, let's say towards me or at me in that, in that expression. And many couples don't know, or people don't know how to regulate that because they're not comfortable and make space with their own emotion. So I just want to really put it out to people that, that to really be able to learn how to expand your capacity, be comfortable with your own uncomfortable emotions in order to be present with other people, especially your partner, so that you can 
lean into those uncomfortable emotions. I call it getting comfortable with the uncomfortable and not just going away. Yeah. And, and I just want to share that, that that's an ongoing process for me. I mean, mm. I've done, I don't know, I could probably buy a couple of Porsches with what, <laughs> I, had to, what I had to spend on, on therapy for not only for my training, but when I started and, and I, and I'm sure I'm going to find as we get older and face new challenges and maybe our health declines at some point, or, you know, your child leaves the house and you're, you're flooded with all kinds of new experiences. I'm acutely aware at times that I feel kind of paralyzed in the moment, or I'm like, I don't, I don't want to feel vulnerable right now, or I don't want, I don't want my nice vacation to be, you know, sullied by agility or fear. And, hmm. and I'm just, I'm humbled to be honest in my own body sometimes where I'm like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this well. And, and when I've had sleep or thought about it, I, I think that the work is in, is in coming back online and realizing that. So for me, it's this constant, like revolving door of learning and, and cause that makes sense. I mean, I love telling couples this, right? It's like, I hope you expand you're ambitious, you take risks, you move here, you, you watch your children do this. I mean, I hope it scares the crap out of you. You know, mm. that, that means you're living your life. And, yeah. and the fact that you don't know how you're going to feel at 7 p.m. tonight probably just means you're alive. And I think it just lets us off the hook a little bit to, to kind of be like, oh, yeah, I have no idea what this, I've never felt this before. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and even your vulnerability of your authenticity to be able to express that instead of keeping it in and doing that old adage, you know, I'm fine, you know, nothing's bothering me as opposed to like, I'm struggling, I'm struggling yeah. with, with having to show up the way that I want to, perhaps the way that I know that you need me or the way that I want to show up. I'm struggling with that. I think that's so authentic to be able to bring so that we're being known because that's what in intimacy is is just to know and to be known and if we're not if we're not showing up with who we are at that moment how can that take place yeah i just just to open up further i, I interviewed one of my idols last week i interviewed gabor mate on thursday night and mm. i've read everything he's written i you know and i i think i see him in a nuanced light i don't i don't have him on this huge pedestal but still he was someone that I really just knew through his work and seeing him on stage and talking to him a couple times over the years. And the night before I interviewed him, I actually wrote a piece on Facebook to all my friends and, and I was coming home from work. I was tired and I, I just, I was, I was nervous. I was excited, but I was like, wow, I, I'm I, what, you know, what if there's nothing in me or what if we're there and and I put it on paper and I remember just getting it out, just putting it out there. And I wanted to delete it. I wanted to delete the post. I wanted to be yeah. like, nope, nope, that, that's too much. But I noticed in myself, even if nobody read it, there was something about acknowledging the complexity of emotions that emptied my cup. And I remember there just being more space. Mm. And so I think you're right. And I don't... I don't know if it gets easier. Maybe what, what we're both kind of saying is that it's, it's knowing what the discomfort is like that makes it maybe easier to recognize that it, there's, no, there's no danger. Maybe the brain sometimes usually associates that kind of vulnerability with something's really wrong. And I wonder if those are the subtle shifts that start to take place where it's like, no, this is, this is being alive. Yeah. What's coming up for me when you're saying that too, a, a flash of that complexity. I mentioned to you, I think in, in, in one of my exchanges, emails or an audio that I sent you that we had a, a baby die in birth 21 years ago. And that experience between the sharings of that struggles or, or the grief that my wife and I experienced, we, we were able to do that with each other. Um, mm -hmm. That brought us closer, which many couples I know have a challenge with that, that that doesn't mm -hmm. happen. But as the years would go by, you know how grief is. Grief is not linear. It just doesn't uh, purge itself in, in time. It, it can shift and change. The volume of it can go down and so forth. Insights 
But the beauty that I love is even in the complexity 21 years later, that we might say something or we'll go, we'll go visit her grave. She, we buried her on our property and, and we'll have these small little moments and, or uh, maybe larger moments. And, and I never feel, or I don't feel for my wife of like, oh, are we going to do this again? Or, mm. you know, I thought you were over that, mm. that part of that grief. And it's, to me, that's the, that's the beauty of being able to lean into the complexity of some struggles and to create more closeness and intimacy, especially if it was a shared experience that is somewhat of our, our signature of, of our yeah. relationship that's so unique to us that has brought us so close. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. And my heart uh, certainly feels, yeah, for you and, and looking back and what you must have gone through. And I've been doing a lot of interviews lately about the pandemic and relationships. And certainly there's a lot to say about what it's meant for couples to be home together more. Lots of people who maybe just started relationships were all of a sudden thrust into being with somebody a lot more often and not being able to travel. But, you know, akin to your story, you know, trauma and, and our relationships having to expand to contain more, the pandemic really is just another notch on the belt, right? It's just yeah. another aspect of what, of, of the bandwidth that we to share grief and loneliness yeah. and loss. And, and the last thing I'll say that, that I've been thinking about lately is that I think all of us really just have to slow down and think about the, the cultural values that we inherited, our ancestries, because ultimately these very sophisticated views that we might carry around pain, like you talked about you and your wife not getting reactive if the grief comes back as if somehow something's wrong or, or you failed in some way, but this being just a natural ebb and flow you know, Freud said, right, that the dreams have one one foot in the present and one foot in the past. And I think life life is always that way. Mm. And, and I, I don't think I've, uh, you know, uh, I'm often not very good at it. But, but I think the idea that life is an equal measure of pleasure and pain. And the danger, of course, comes if we get so scared of the pain that we start to put all of these, you know, like a smoke and mirrors to, to avoid it. And then, and then it grows, right. Then it, right. You know, then it's just waiting. It's just waiting for that proverbial conversation, the relationship that has nothing to do with anything else that all of a sudden, boom, like you're, you're on this, this powder keg of grief and you're like, how did talking about cutlery turn into <laughs> something that happened 15 years ago? And it's because, somewhere along the lines it wasn't safe enough as you pointed out there wasn't a shared acknowledgement that it's okay to bleed to remember and it, and look i don't want to say that with any you know hint of uh, mastery in my voice i think it's hard uh, but certainly our attitude has to be in the the right place to at least appreciate that there's nothing wrong in a relationship when things go wrong uh, that should be expected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that whole point about leaning in with that is, boy, if we don't, as a, as a species, if we don't lean into people's struggles or suffering, then, then we're, we're losing the evolution of, of what makes us again, human, you know, that capacity of, of care and empathy and, and, and understanding and, and become callous. And, and I'm afraid, you know, with, some aspects that I see how people are on social media, other ways. Um, it's a protection that people are putting on to, to not, not be touched in that, in that way to be more callous, but boy, leaning in is, is such an important quality of a human being to know that we don't have to fix something. We could just really stay present uh, and witness uh, with our hearts to lean into people's struggles. And especially when we do that with people that are close to us, I know that's a legacy that I want to be remembered by too, hopefully by people that are yeah, for in my sure. life. And it got clear for me in another way recently, another lecture I was listening to, another Australian for some reason, but she 
talked about this really interesting study where they looked at people that tend to downregulate when there's a big emotional experience, right? So people that are like, oh, I don't, I don't get anxious or I don't get excited or I don't need to talk about my day. And, and the conclusion actually was is that there's a great benefit. You know, lots of us are walking around when, when there's a burning building and they're like, look, let's just get away from the burning building. Why, do we, why should we go in with the big hose and put it out, right? Those are equally potentially, you know, surviving responses. And so she said it's true that if you measure someone's heart rate and their sweat glands and, and all these things, when, when somebody avoids maybe going into the weeds with their feelings, there seems to be a physiological benefit in the moment, as in they can focus on work or read a book or not get disturbed by it. But the interesting thing that they discovered is that these people are often terrible at relationships. <laughs> and, and there's a history of being alone or, or they don't work. And so that's an interesting, never mind perhaps some of the sort of physiological distress that can come along and lots about that, you know, cardiovascular illness and just where does it go, right? So it has to go somewhere. Yeah. But I feel like for those that are listening or those that just have a predilection, like you're saying to not lean in, it's totally normal. I mean, obviously how human beings evolve, there's got to be some very understandable, normal reason why we do this. The reason though, to look at it, to maybe go to couples therapy, to look back and be like, you know, I never get that close to people is because of what I think you said about, about you know, reaching out and, and a kind of, it, there is a need. People live longer. The emotions that we feel when someone can take care of us, uh, your shared history with your wife, you know, being able to look back. I honor that. I, I cherish that I met, you know, my, my wife's father passed away a couple of years after we got married and I got to know him. I went ice fishing with him in Poland and th those things um, like an old oak tree, you know, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, like, like, like the relationship has these roots and Hmm. I think that's worth fighting for. I think that if you notice that maybe you're down regulation or as you're pointing out, you don't lean in. Yeah, maybe it leaves you a bit less anxious, but then, but then no one will ever really know how to take care of you. They don't have a map. They don't have a manifesto. They don't have the edges of, of you know, where you break. And for me, and I could be wrong, uh, but I don't know how long-term close relationships really survive unless there's a process of getting clear about what we need and 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 it should be uh i always think of the the french you know they have these songs that go on for like 12 stanzas you know jacques brel has a song in french called le chanson des vieux amants the song of the old lovers and the last verse literally it says something like well here we are and we're still breathing next to each other <laughs> and, and, you know after all these turns and challenges and i just love the there's a simplicity there and i think a yeah. kind of reminder that that uh, we don't have to be so afraid of um these big you know and you opening up about what you and your wife went through and you're right that's very hard for some couples to play that music right to mm -hmm. to to play that music on the piano together i mean that's um that's some heavy stuff yeah i love that i love that part that you just said that that ending of uh that we're just here breathing together and and uh <laughs> and i appreciate that about what we're doing here you know it's it's wonderful that you took the time that we're just breathing here uh bringing up some some subjects that are near and dear to us in our lives and our work and just wrapping and sharing it. And uh, hopefully people are benefiting from it. So uh, th thanks so much for, for taking the time. And, and I, I'm really enjoying this, uh, this spark of getting to know, know you in the last few weeks of the exchanges and conversations that we had. And I feel like um, I've got somebody across the pond that I, that I'm cultivating a new friendship with. And it's, that's really sweet. So, oh, ditto. From, yeah. from the second I heard your podcast and how, you know, direct and down to earth you were, uh, I know how lucky the, the, the people that come into your practice are to just have that sensibility and just, you know, uh, 
we get too caught up in theory and what's right and what's wrong. It's if you can foster a relationship and, and get down to some of these conversations, I think technique's important, but character goes a long way. And I, I certainly uh, echo your sentiments. I've had many thoughts of really appreciating our connection. So thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. Yeah, love it. Well, before we go, just to let people know, like, how can they get in touch with you? What do you, what's up for you that's exciting in your podcast? What do you want people to, to know about you before we, before we take off? Yeah, so I've, you know, uh, I, I've had a full practice for many years and, and worked in Canada and Sweden and eventually, like you, wanted to, to expand my thinking. And I started the podcast called The Dignity of Suffering. I think it echoes what we shared today about finding just the kind of dignity in these processes and trying to ground ourselves in in the natural ebbs and flows of life. And you can access it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And also my full name, Mitchell with two L's, MitchellSmolkin.com is my website. There's lots of stuff there for couples about relationships. And the exciting thing was that I just interviewed Gabor Mate and it's going to come out as a podcast. Uh, really soon and uh yeah that was uh that was a highlight for me for sure nice cool well i'm looking forward to coming and visiting my my danish family soon hopefully and and maybe we'll get to see each other in person to person then. that'd be, be amazing sweet. and i can't wait to have you on uh on my show and people yeah. hopefully can find you there too that'd be great cool thanks a lot brother i really appreciate it okay this. all right man have a good night you too thank you relationships Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit prepo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Mm -hmm.